Well, we're privileged to have the kids with us in uh, service today, and uh, if you did not, if you're a, a kid this morning, uh, we actually have color page, uh, coloring book pages for you that go along with uh, the sermon. If you don't have one of those, you can wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. Mr. Andrew, if you're an adult, you cannot have a coloring book page. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, he's going to pass those out, colors there. Let me ask you this morning, though, what is the worst name that you've ever been called before? On the count of three, we're going to yell it out. What? No, I'm joking. We're not going to do that. Man, well, the kids are in here this morning. Come on. What's the worst name that you've ever been called? What's the worst name you've ever called someone before? Hmm. We're definitely not going to yell that out, are we? Well, I can remember almost like it was yesterday when I was uh, in the first grade and someone in my class, they called me maybe the worst thing ever. They said, you got real mad we were playing and maybe you know, I think it was a, there was some kind of kickball involved. I said, you're, you're, you're a poo-poo head. And immediately I was like, no, I'm not. I am not. And of course, childishly, and when you are at that age, you go, well, your mom is a poo-poo head. And these words that go back and forth. And we were taught, maybe not as much today, but maybe you heard that phrase, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never. You know, I just don't think that's true. I don't really think that's true because words and names, they hurt, don't they? I bet you can almost remember a story in your life when you were called a name. It's difficult. It's no good. In fact, we know they hurt because we teach our kids, as soon as we hear our kid calling someone a name, what happens? They get called in, and if you were like me when I was a kid, you got your mouth washed out with soap. It's a bad thing. I called my sister several things I can't repeat here, and that got me in trouble. But words, they hurt. Names, they hurt. But sometimes we're called names, and maybe it's good for us. My wife, uh, bless her heart, she is wonderful. She keeps me in line. There have been times where she's looked at me and she's just said, you know what, you're being a selfish jerk right now. And you know what my reaction, of course, is? Your mom is a selfish jerk. <laughs> and then I pout, and then I go, she's just being, she's so judgmental. She's so, and then suddenly I, as I'm pouting and I'm steaming, I go, well, maybe I was a little, you know, but, and the more I think about it, it the, the realization hits you, you know what, she's right. I was a jerk. I said something that was jerkish. I was being selfish. I was being self-centered. They kind of, you hate those moments, because then you have to go and say, I'm sorry, or you had those, you know, redemption moments. Sometimes names, they, uh, they hit a little close to home, don't they? And Jesus actually is the name caller this morning. And that's the parable we're going to look at. It's in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, if you haven't been with us, we're in this series, Once Upon a Time, seeing yourself in the parables. We've been looking at different stories. Today is actually the last day in the series. And uh, today we're looking at the, the story of the rich fool, the rich fool. And the context we find ourselves in Luke chapter 12 is this. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching thousands of people. He's telling about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them what it means to be his follower. And in the middle of all this teaching, suddenly someone interrupts Jesus. 
interrupts Jesus, and that's where we find us in, in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. So here's this scene, Jesus is teaching, and suddenly, out of nowhere, this guy says, hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, what you're saying is great and all, but I've got a real problem. Uh, I've got a real problem. Uh, I've got this situation with my brother. I need you to resolve it. There's this inheritance. My father has died, and that means it's time to divide stuff up. The older brother, because he's the older brother, he's actually the executor of the will, and so he's the one that divides, would actually have those divided up. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you've been there, you've seen it before, where before someone is even properly buried and there is a memorial, there's fighting about possessions and things, and it's ugly. Ugh. That's the kind of the feeling you sense with this. Because the man is basically saying, give me what's mine. And an inheritance for him was, it was pride, it was identity, it was stuff, it was land, it was... And that's what he wanted. That's what he wanted Jesus to decide that day. So what's Jesus' response? Jesus says, man, and some of the NLT is friend. I don't know if that's like a man, friend, brosif, dude, chick, or like the common term of the day we call each other. If you're a Hulkamaniac, brother, uh, or if you're from South Carolina, Bo, we call each other Bo. I don't know why. Have you ever heard that before? Hey, Bo. Bo. I don't know if that's from the Dukes of Hazzard or what that is, but... Bo, Bo is everybody. It's a girl or boy, you're Bo. Um, but he says, man, who am I to be an arbitrator between you? And then he goes on and he, and he uses this opportunity to, to teach there. And he says this. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's soul, his life, it doesn't, it's not about possessions. You know that Jesus teaches, other than love, he teaches about money more than anything else in the Bible, more than warning us against uh, drunkenness or sexual idolatry or any of those things. He tells us to watch out. In this moment, he's telling us, he's giving us a strong warning, watch out. Possessions don't define you. And he goes on to tell this story, and you you can keep reading along. He said he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man, they produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, when I stop here, I go, huh. That kind of sounds pretty good. Guy gets rich, suddenly puts everything away. Let's just take life easy a little bit. But what's Jesus' reaction here? He says this, but God said to him, you fool. Pretty intense if God calls you a fool. What he means here, he's not saying you're stupid. What he's saying is you've missed it. You are foolish. You have missed it everything. You've missed the point. And that's what what God is emphasizing. Jesus is emphasizing here. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This money thing, man, it's a source here of sensitivity. And as, this, as he's working through this parable and he sees that, he reemphasizes those words that it's not about possessions. Those don't define you. In fact, God tells us earlier in Scripture, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and he'll love the other or despise the other or be devoted to one. You cannot serve both God and wealth. When our hearts, our heads, and our lives are focused on money, we can fall out of purpose the way or direction that God has for us. There's a great scholar. His name is uh, Walter Brueggemann. And when I was in school, Walter Brueggemann, he is specializes in Old Testament theology, and he writes these huge books that you have to have a thesaurus beside you to read. They're very difficult, uh, no fun at all, but in the midst of all of that chaos, there is a lot of good truth. And uh, Walter Brueggemann, he talks about empire a lot and what empires are. And he says this, Throughout all of Scripture, basically, the plot is the same. It's God's people, God's special chosen people that, are, that are, he's, he's taken and he wants to form and to make into a special nation, a special followers of him. They're constantly being influenced by what he calls empire. This, these powers and cultural systems that, that, that people are, are confronted by. You see that all throughout Scripture with the Egyptians, uh, with the Israelites, the Assyrians, and then when, in Jesus' time, Rome even. These influence, these powers that are, are out there, they're trying to influence the people of God. And he tells us, and he kind of paints this picture that there are these two worlds that are, that are dichotomic or just at each other. And 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. So he's painting this picture of these two places and that we're, we're really strangers here. Brueggemann goes on and he talks about how these empires, they influence us to try to be like them and to be a part of, of the empire. And I don't know if that, he's a Star Wars fan or he's kind of that. It kind of feels like a, an evil empire type thing there. But in the midst of this empire, they, they influence us with, with different myths, different lies. And, and one of those lies is the, the myth of value, the myth of value. And the myth of value basically says that, that the things that we wear, the places that we live, the things that we drink, they define who we are. They give us, they basically give us value by the possessions and the things that we have. You know, I, and when we find value in these things, it's not about just eating, but it's about eating well. It's not about living, it's living well, and we're defined by the houses, the cars, the things that we drive, and, and, and we know about these things. Uh, this can best be illustrated at, when we look at Forbes' top 200, 500 list of the richest people in the world. They come out the richest people in America, and this came out just a couple of weeks ago, and what it says on there in this top 10 list, and of course, Bill Gates is always up there, it's, this person is worth X amount of money. You are worth X, and you place me with the value of the stuff that I have. Uh, of course, on that top 10 list in America, four of those people are from the great city of Bentonville, Arkansas, the home of Walmart, exactly. So uh, I think it's Alice Walton. She is worth 
$33 billion. $33 billion. And the others in the family are worth just about that amount. My friend is actually the pastor of Bentonville Church of the Nazarene. And he talked to me the other day about being in financial crisis. And I said, you have four of the richest people in America that live in your small town totaling $120 billion of worth. And you can't get one of those people to come to your church. It's a small town, Mark. All right. $120 billion. But we attach worth with who we are, our lives, with the stuff that we have. It's a myth that the empire wants us to believe. The next myth is this, is that there's this myth of consumption. This myth that we're empty, which is true, and we need to be filled with stuff to have value. We see that in what I call these parables, these commercials that we see everywhere. Commercials are basically mini parables, and they tell us a story. Let me give you an example. Have you ever seen a direct TV commercial before? Let's, let's check this one out right here. I hate that I can't record and watch my shows in here. Yeah, it's more annoying than... We shouldn't have to get a DVR for every TV. Cable's more infuriating than... We should upgrade to DirecTV and get the new Genie. She lets you record and watch from any TV with just one DVR. Wow. DirecTV is more unbelievable than... Now you only need one DVR. All right, here's the parable. Oh, no, we don't have a DVR in our bedroom. Chaos! Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? It's peril. It's hellish like conditions. And then suddenly, ah. We found the answer. DirecTV will provide it. And suddenly fish will jump into your arms and it'll be wonderful. <sighs> and the world sells us on these things. And it, this is not the only commercial, let's be honest. It's been around for a while. Calgon, take me away. Have you seen those commercials? I just, you can, by the way, you can find these on YouTube. There's this mom, and there's this kid that's yelling and screaming. The boss is at, is at you, and then there's traffic and all these things, and she says, Calgon, take me away. And suddenly, ah, if I could just get hold of that Calgon, or head and shoulders, oh no, oh no, there's dandruff. Ah. And by the end of the commercial, we're like, we have found Eureka. We have found head and shoulders. Oh. Or every single cell phone com uh, commercial, it's 3G. That little thing swirls around. This is, this is terrible. This is awful. How can we live this way? And then by the end, you get the new phone. It's, it's 10G. It goes super fast. That's what the world sells us, and that's what commercials, we know this, is all about. They're trying to create this need, in it, and if we don't have that, if we don't feel that need, then we feel empty again. There's a comedian by the name of Louis C.K., and he talks about this, and that everything is awesome, but no one is happy. Everything is awesome, but no one is happy. I'm old enough, and a lot, most of you are old enough to remember rotary phones. You remember those? I think my grandma still has one. You would get mad at someone if they had a zero in their number because you had to go all the way 
And then you ring, 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 ring. And if you really wanted to get in touch with somebody, you annoy them to death because there's no answering machine. You just ring 21, ring 22, 20. just keeps going. It just keeps going. And if you had a really cool phone, you had the, the long, one of the long, long cords that you could go all the way into the living room in with. I mean, that's what we used to have, folks. Kids, teenagers in the room. Now we have 10G phones or 4G phones or 5G, whatever they are. And when we have these phones in our hands, we, 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 it's still not enough. We're like, come on, come on, this thing's not fast enough. And, and, and Louis talks about how there's a signal going to space and you are getting mad at your phone. Like, how crazy is that? Or do you remember when DV, where we had uh, VCRs and you had to put a tape in there and you had to like hope that it actually recorded and you weren't recording over your wedding video or something? And uh, now we have DVRs and you, oh no, we can only record two shows. We can't record four shows at one time or have it in the bathroom or wherever else. There's this crazy emptiness that we've got to fill with stuff all the time. Check out this video. Uh, it kind of t- speaks a little bit to that. It's called Field. I woke up this morning with a normal feeling for me. It felt like sadness, but more like hunger than anything else. The closest word for it is empty. Whatever the feeling was, I wanted it to go away. Within an hour of waking up, this feeling's usually gone. Coffee can do it, catching up on sports, and by the time I check my email, I'm good. At least I'm full for the present. The feeling, whatever it was, is gone. But quite easily, I slip back into the emptiness. If not the next hour, the next day. Technology gives me the quickest, most instantly gratifying fill. That's why I like social media. All I really need is one like on Instagram, and I'm golden. Facebook can do it too, as long as it's about me. And I look on Twitter to get my sarcasm fill for the day. It doesn't really take much, but it doesn't really last long either. If social media doesn't do it, Music always fills me up, especially when I'm driving. I got my tunes, the open road, and I can listen to whatever I want. I rock the same songs over and over again. I was empty. Now I'm filled. I have millions of ways to fill up. I didn't even mention TV, Movies or beach vacations, alcohol, cars, home improvements, accolades at work. Whatever I want, I can have it. With the touch of a button or the drop of a hat, the world is at my fingertips. I can fill myself with whatever I want, cash pending. All I have to do is convince myself that it's good to eat and desirable for food. Then it's just a matter of plucking my choice fruit from the tree. No wonder I don't need God to be filled. I'm already full.
text, Brueggemann talks about the myth of scarcity. And this is this uh, intrinsic feeling that there really isn't enough out there, enough goods, enough stuff for us to live comfortably in the world. And so what we do is we have to, to take and take and take and then basically build walls around what we have and protect it and keep it, which gives us power and gives us control. This can best be seen in the story of Egypt and Israel. Egypt, when there was great harvest, they would take all the grain and they would, they would store it up so that they can control the food and control uh, people. And what would happen, what happened when Israel was actually released and God set them free, they, would, they went out into the desert and God would provide for them. They'd provide one day at a time manna from heaven, but that wasn't enough for them. It wasn't enough to, to live day to day to trust in God. They wanted to control. They wanted to have power. And Scott Daniels says it this way, apparently one, it's one kind of miracle of God to get Israel out of Egypt. It's another to get Egypt out of Israel. It's one thing to get Israel out of Egypt, but another to get Egypt out of Israel. There's this myth of scarcity. There's also a myth of control. This, this desire to have control of things. And you see that uh, in the story of Egypt and Israel. But you also you see that with Pharaoh trying to control the people. And God busted through that control with these different plagues uh, that came, these ten different plagues. And this, this desire, you see this in the story of uh, the parable with all these barns that you, you hear him say when, when he had this great crop, the, the, the rich man, he had a great crop, and he begins to say things like this. What will I do with the good things that I have? I will build a big, bigger barn. I will do this and I will do that. There's all these me, I, my kind of mentality that I can control. And you see that in the parable. And that's almost kind of our hope is that we can be in control. That we can control our future and our present. But we realize as much as we want to have control, there are moments that we understand that we don't have control, that God does. You get an unexpected phone call in the middle of the night. You go to the doctor. You suddenly get called into your boss's office, and they say, someone says, there's just not enough room right now. We're going to have to let you go. And suddenly our control is shattered, and we realize how insecure and how vulnerable we really, really are. I don't know if you saw... Uh, this week, uh, there was a story about a roller coaster. Um, I, as a youth pastor, am forced to like roller coasters. I've taken kids to many roller coaster parks. Uh, I've been to, probably been on hundreds and hundreds of roller coasters. Now, early on, I, I enjoy a good roller coaster ride, uh, but there are some rides that I despise, cannot stand. Uh, at, one of those would be that space shuttle or a pirate ship that goes up and around, and then it just kind of stays up there for a long time, and your change falls out. I think it's some way to fundraiser of some sort. I, I cannot stand that ride. I don't like being just stuck there, and all of a sudden, you're just, there's the only thing between me and the 100 feet in the ground is this, this thing that's, I don't, who made this thing? Where was this made? Who locked this up? It scares me to death. Or that ride that you go straight up in the air, and then they drop you straight down, 
the Superman ride or whatever. They're different for different parks. Can't stand that ride. I actually don't like heights at all either. But I have learned that I know how to control. I know which rides I like and which rides I don't like like because of the amount of stress that I have along the way. Early on, a middle schooler would kind of double dog dare me and I would ride those rides anyway. I'd get on them and just be, oh, I cannot believe I got on this thing. This is terrible. This is awful. Uh, but now I'm like, forget your squeaky voice, 12-year-old. I am, I am able to make my own decisions. I will not fall to your peer pressure. This week there was a story, maybe you saw it, at Hollywood, uh, I think it was Hollywood Studios, Universal Studios in Florida, where uh, there was this ride that got stuck. It's the tallest ride at the, at the, in the park. And it's not a great picture. We couldn't find a good picture. But I don't know if you can see the position that they're in. Uh, it's just stuck basically going up like this. They were stuck on the ride for two hours. Two hours. Can you imagine that kind of stress, anxiety? I don't know what I would do. That just rips my stomach apart thinking about that, just being stuck straight up about 117 floors up in the air. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's awesome. You are crazy, okay? You're crazy, crazy people, all right? That is not a situation that I, I want. But, but what happens, in, I think, in our, our society with with culture and the way they, they want to shape us, is that we find ourselves in those anxious, worried positions in life. I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes that guy that's got, you don't see it very often, these, these poles that are up and he's spinning dishes, plates. Is there an actual name for that person? Plate spinner. The plate spinner guy. He's spinning plates and he goes to another plate and he goes to another plate and he spins and you're just constantly trying to keep things and one's about, you get one going and then you got another one and just the, the anxiety and the stresses of life and all this kind of adds up and it builds and it builds and it builds and sometimes we get just a little bit of relief. Oh, if I can just make it to vacation. If I can just, then, oh, I can't wait to play golf in a couple of days. If I can just get to golf, then all will be right. But there's this constant stress that's out there. I don't know if you feel that, that tension in your life, but it's not good. It's not the way of the kingdom. In fact, I like the way one author put it. He said that, that worry and stress is the off-ramp to the kingdom of God. He wants to use that. The enemy wants to use that in your life to distract you from what God has called us. There's one thing to have tension. We know that there's tension in this world, but there's another thing to have stress that leads to worry, that leads to doubt, that leads to anger, that leads to broken relationships. Man, it's not the way God has called us to live at all. I mean, you see that uh, throughout Scripture where God is warning us over and over, don't fret, don't worry. He doesn't want that in our lives. And there's good news, folks. There's good news today. Jesus goes on after the parable. If you've got your Bible still, you can, you can read along with me. It says this. He turns to his disciples and he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more important than food and the body is more important than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. He takes care of them. How much more valuable are you are than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O ye, o, o you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after, for the empire runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need it. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus wants to give us peace. He wants to give us rest. He's telling us, don't worry, don't fret. It's easier said than done, isn't it? There are a couple of things we know, and he just kind of points these things out. We know these things. Worry is, worry is basically to forget who we are in God. We're forgetting that who God has made us to be and, and our identity in him, that we are more important than the ravens. We are more important than the, the grass of the field, that God values us, and we fi- should find our value and our identity in him. Worry is pointless. He tells us it doesn't even add a day to your life. You, it's not going to do anything to worry. We know this. Worry, worry is faithless. That one, that one hurts. I think there's a direct correlation with the amount of faith and trust that we have in God and the amount of worry that we have in our life. Oswald Chambers says this, all of our fret and worry is caused by calculating without God. We, we know these things. These are not new things to you. But why is it so hard to remember? Jesus, I think, interestingly enough, he turns to his disciples when he, he gives this teaching about worry. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we, we had a meeting together, a, a staff meeting. I woke up that morning. I wasn't feeling very good. Uh, I just had that weird feeling in your stomach. Went to lunch, actually, with Michelle and Garen and, and uh, Pastor Jeffrey. We went to Ruby Tequila's uh, for Mexican food. Uh, I started to feel even worse uh, later on. Uh, we uh, had a get-together that night uh, at the IHOP uh, for some late-night planning for a sermon that we did together a couple of weeks ago, and I told uh, Garen and Michelle, I am feeling about as bad as I possibly can feel right now. I went to IHOP and didn't eat anything. That's how bad I was feeling. And uh, I knew that it, it, things were going south quickly. On the way home, suddenly my body temperature just drops out of nowhere. I'm just getting chills. And I'm about half a mile from the house when, in the middle of the road, I have to stop the car, open the door, and I lose everything that I've probably ever eaten in my entire life, all right, on Cypress North Houston, all right? So I'm sitting there in the middle of my my head out of my car, and suddenly I realize, if a cop sees me, that might not look good. Uh, So I get back in, I go inside the house, I go upstairs, I exile myself into the spare room, bare room, and I have the worst night of my life. It happened just two weeks ago when suddenly I felt like knives were into my stomach and this pain just shooting there. And I wanted so badly to throw up. In fact, I did multiple times that night. Multiple. I lost count. And several times I felt so weak and dehydrated. I was on the floor. And in those moments, I don't know if you've had those before, 
You pray for anything. Jesus, Jesus, just the words that come out, Lord, please help me. And I just, I started praying for you guys. I was like, maybe I'll pray for other people. Maybe that'll work. So I just started thinking of anything I could pray for and just get me through the night. The next morning, it was started to subside a little bit. A couple of days go by. Oh, I think it's okay. I've kind of slowed down a little bit. I go to a birthday party a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Joseph Huff's 40th party. There's ribs there. I can't resist the ribs. I eat the ribs, and immediately it comes back again. I find myself in the emergency room that night, and I have to find out what's going on here. My, my mom is in the medical field. She's warning me about all kinds of things that it could be. And basically, I find out, the doctor tells me, my stomach is on fire. And I wanted to say, no, duh, I know that. I feel that. And he tells me that I have this thing called gastritis, and it is stress-related. And it's just my, I am this close to an ulcer. And suddenly, man, things hit home. I don't know if you've ever been stressed before or worried before. It is the enemy, enemy's one of his best tools that he has against us. We're spinning things all the time and worried about all these things, but that's not the life God has called us to live. God has called us to something different. He's called us to this life of shalom, this life of peace. In fact, he tells that to his disciples, and he says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. He has called us into this life of peace, this life where we realign ourselves to what God has called us to live. I love it when, when I, I've heard that, you know, that word shalom actually means, it's the Hebrew word for peace. And it's a greeting, it's almost like a hello between people. And this reinforcement that we want the peace of God in our lives. That's not the absence of tension, but it's the proper place of tension in our lives. This shalom. And it's, it's actually talked about over and over and over again in the Bible. And the, the partner of shalom is Sabbath, having a Sabbath rest. And we see that from the very beginning of God's word. When Jesus is creator, he is making and he is forming and he's shaping. And on the seventh day, he takes the day off to rest and to see creation and know that it is good. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the example, their example of disobedience. God wants us to have this shalom. But it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. There's a verse that says very simply, be still and know that I am God. I don't know about you, but that's hard. There are days when I leave my, I've left my phone at home, and suddenly, I, that's just, I, I don't even know if I can make it through a day without a phone. But isn't it interesting, maybe you've been on one of these trips before, when you're out of the country, and suddenly you don't have your phone, and things are all right. You can survive. You can make it without those things. 
And we find that when we're in those situations, that things become at peace. I've been on trips before, and maybe you have before, where uh, we went to uh, Dominica once, and we're trying to build a uh, we're trying to build a dorm room. And we get down there, and we're so pumped about building this dorm room. And you know, the average they told us the average time to build this dorm is going to be five days. Well, of course, we get together and we're we're Americans. Well, we're going to build this in three days. You know, we're just we're, and so we are going at it as hard as we possibly can. And, and in the middle of like day two or so, the missionary comes up to us and says, you know what, guys? Hey, you guys are doing great. But here's the thing. The work will get done. The work will get done. Stop. Rest. Be in relationship. There are people that are around us, the, the people, the, the natives that were there. Be in relationship. That's what the kingdom is about. The shalom, being in right relationship with God, being in right, right relationship with with others. And God has called us to that peace. Imagine what your life would be like. I heard it said that, you know, the way, the way I find peace, the way I realign my life is that the first 15 minutes of every single day, I begin each day where the first thing that I think about is God. The very first thing that comes into mind, I, I lay in bed and I begin to think about God. And I think about how good He is and how great He is and what He has done for me. And I begin, the first words that come out of my mouth are praises. And I pray and I spend time with Him. And my day is completely different. A shalom in the beginning of your morning. What, what if you took that rest every single day? And you centered your life about around the kingdom and what God's doing. He teaches us to have a Sabbath, a day of the week that we, 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 we put aside and say, God, this is your day where I'm going to center my life on you. I, I love this, this verse in Philippians. It says this in Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything, but what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Peace. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. This morning... We, we come into this room, and, and I know that your lives are full. You're spinning plates. You're juggling things all the time. The worries mount. And we can forget to seek God. As simply as this verse says, to pray about everything. To thank God. To realign our hearts and our lives to what He has for us in this world. This morning, as we practice shalom, I invite you. We're going to sing a song. You can sing. Maybe you just want to pray. You want to, in your, your seats, you, you want to just say, Lord, there's some things in my life that are not at peace that I need to give to you. I hand over. Maybe you want to come to the altars. You feel like, man, I, I just want to bow before him. I just want to just thank him. I just need to, to realign my life 
I need to hand some things over to him. They're, they're too heavy. This morning, as we sing, as we, we pray, I invite you to seek his Sabbath rest. Lord, I come, I confess, I'm here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, but you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness.
Jesus. And there's no truer words than that phrase, I need you. God, we need you. I need you every single day. I need you every moment. God, we are nothing without you, God. Lord, we look around us and we see chaos in our worlds, Lord, in our lives, in our country, in our, our families, God. And sometimes, Lord, we, we just get focused, Lord, on those things and we lose sight of you. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to seek shalom, to seek that peace in our lives. Lord, not when things just collapse, but seek it every single day, God, that our eyes would focus on you, God. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning that there is chaos all around. And God, <laughs> don't know what to do. They don't want to say people are finances or family or, or whatever it is, God. Lord, I pray that you would remind them today, God, that you, you care for them. You love each one of us, that you do have a plan for our lives. God, that you want to use the circumstances of our lives to form us and to shape us. God, in the midst of tension, Lord, I pray that we would trust. God, trust you who is the God that provides. Provides for our, our daily needs. God, help us to lean on you, God, to give up control and to seek your rest seek your peace in our presence, in our future, in all that we do, God. Lord, our identity is found in you. And today, we remember that on this Sabbath day. I pray that this would not be forgotten, that we would remember tomorrow and the next day and the next day as we praise you, as we thank you, as we trust you. Lord, I love you, and I pray these things in your name. And everyone said, amen. Peace is good. Peace is very good. Picture that peace in your mind. Seek that peace in your heart, the peace that... There's only one person that gives that kind of peace. The world knows nothing about. And his name is Jesus. It's not about what we can do, about what we own, but who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. And it's there we will find rest. God is doing some amazing things in our community. And uh, we're excited about where God's leading us into the future, where God is taking us as a people, as a community, and what God wants to do in and through us. Uh, right now, the board is going to come and share. Michael Kreider is, uh, is a great young guy on our board. He's going to come and share uh, kind of an update of what's happening in the middle of, of, of the pastoral search and uh, give you some uh, more details. Hello. Good morning. Before I get to the update, I just have to say I definitely needed to hear that. Thank you for the sermon this morning. It was, it was awesome. And really, when we're in a spot where we have a, a, a couple voids in our pastoral staff, you would not know it at all. We have such an amazing group of people here at this church. So make sure you, you tell everybody thank you 
uh, our productions. Um, you know, definitely the pastors. It's Pastors Appreciation Month. Uh, please tell them thank you. They all deserve it. Our worship, uh, our worship band, tell them thank you. They, they definitely deserve a good thank you. Um, it's been about a month since we've updated you last time. We are complete with steps one and two. Uh, we're finished with three and four. That's really what we've been working on a lot. The, the board has been meeting every Monday. A lot of time and effort has really been going in to assess where are we with the church. We, we, uh, we gave a, um, um, come on, help me out, I'm blanking out. We gave out survey, thank you, a survey, to the congregation and to the, to the staff to kind of assess where are we, what are some needs, what are some things that we've done well. So that's really where a, a lot of work has gone into this document so that we could all be on the same page, especially as a board. We don't want to wing it. Uh, when we're talking to a new pastor. We don't want to wing it when we're going through uh, the interview process. So we really wanted to do something to get on the same page uh, that, that communicates who we are as a church and where we want to go and what vision has already been set forth. Uh, you know, a large part of that was Dr. Jeffrey that, that helped us to set this vision and to put some things in motion. And we don't want to lose any of that. So we came up uh, with a church profile that explains all that, and it is in a very general format. What we don't want to do is get very specific with a new pastor that comes in and says, here's your marching orders. Uh, that's, that's not what we want to do. Uh, a pastor is going to have a vision, and we, we believe that he's going to have a, a godly calling when he comes in and leads this church. Uh, so we don't want to come in and say, here's what you need to be doing. So it is very general in nature on purpose, but we did want to have something that we conveyed where, what, who we are as a church and what we've been doing and where we're going. So that's where we're at now. We have the uh, uh, step, uh, steps one through four have been completed. We're still in step five. That's always been kind of going on is uh, uh, trying to identify who a good candidate would be. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey's very involved with that. Uh, we've got a uh, review committee that's also very involved with that. So now moving forward, you're going to see a little bit more progress. This was a little bit quieter behind the scenes. A lot of time and effort again has gone into this, but now moving forward, we're going to start uh, bringing the candidates to the front with serious conversation, serious uh, uh, consideration, and then start going through the interview process. So that's, re that's where we're on step five and step six is where we're concentrating on right now. Um, what do we do now? Just some reminders. Um, we need a strong sense of corporate prayer. We met with Dr. Jeffrey yesterday. It still sounds weird for me to call him Dr. Jeffrey. Uh, we met with Dr. Jeffrey on Monday, and he, still, he wanted us to remind, uh, to remind us that we need a strong sense of corporate prayer. We need everybody praying about who our new pastor is going to be and, and that we can identify him uh, when he comes. Um, so uh, we're going to start doing every Sunday something in the service that involves uh, corporate prayer with our congregation. Um, uh, reminder that uh, we started this a while ago uh, that at 4 32 p.m. Set your alarm clocks. Please, everybody, pray every day uh, on the direction of our church and on the pastor that is going to be here leading us that so we don't know who that is yet. So, so say prayers with us. As if, if we get involved uh, at a corporate level of prayer and worship, uh, we believe it's going to help. Um, Pre-service prayer at 10 a.m. Uh, at the altars. Uh, if you want to come in early at 10 a.m., grab your coffee, grab your donuts, but come in, the altar's going to be open to you if you want to uh, pray on this. We definitely want to encourage you and get you in early on that. Uh, the, prayer, the prayer room is open on Sunday mornings. It's also open on Wednesday nights. Uh, if you want to come in, if you're close by, definitely come in and, and, again, 
uh, pray on the future uh, of the church and, and who's going to be leading us. Um, let's see here. The announcements, what's next? Uh, oh, the board uh, profile, church summary, is going to be available to you if you want it. We do have some extra hard copies that are available in the back. If uh, you leave and you forget, that's fine. Just email us. We'll send this copy to you. Um, and I believe that is all that, that all we have. Um, yep, that is it. Yeah. So, again, uh, thanks. And her turn. Thank you, Michael, for the update. Great job. Well, I have one important um, announcement. Matt has already made it, but it is about the fall festival um, and going out into the community. If you're like me, you usually bring your own kids to this, and you're, you're, uh, you want them to have fun, and you're walking around with them. Um, and we want you to bring our kids. We want our kids to come, but we want our kids and us to reach out to the people in the neighborhood. We want you to talk to them. We want you to be um, engaging, and we just want to bring church to them. Um, so I, I, I pray that you guys will come. Um, it's on Saturday, October 26th from... 9 to 11 or 11 to 1? 11 to 1. 11 to 1, sorry. Um, and we need donations. We need baked goods because we're going to have a cakewalk, and um, we need lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of candy. So, um, and we also need volunteers. So Amanda Padovan and Andrew Padovan will be out in the foyer after this, so you can sign up with them. You can sign up on your communication card if you haven't already dropped it in, or you can email um, hfcnaz at office at hfcnaz.org. Sorry. Well, um, I really needed this sermon too, Michael. Um, I was just telling Mike and Amy Carr and George, we were at our daughter's football games and they were cheering on Friday night. And I said, I feel like I'm, I'm living my life. Like this weekend, they had a game Friday night. Ashley did. Megan had a soccer game Saturday morning. Ashley had homecoming last night. We had to get her dressed and get her off. And then we, Philip had a football game last night. And then I have church today. I have a ministry event this afternoon, life group tonight. And I just told him, I said, I feel like I'm living my life like, okay, I need to get through this, and I need to get through this, and I need to get through this, and I can't wait for this week to be over because it's so busy, and I need to get through next week. But you know what? Those, and those are all good things that I'm doing, and God just reminded me. I said this to Mike, and I, after, I, after Mike said this to me, he said, uh, Michelle, he said, that doesn't sound like, you sound like you need to re, realign a few things. And I started thinking about that, and, and God said to me, you know, it's not that you really re need to realign a few things, you just need to remember to include me in all of those things. And so yesterday morning when I woke up, I just prayed, I said, God, I cannot do all of this in my own strength. And I wanted to see my kids play their games, it's not that, but it just was a lot. And God said, just rest, rest in me. So as you go today, I just pray that you will remember to ask God to fill your hearts in your minds with the kind of peace that only he can give. Pray that you have a great week.